The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is The Conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. I'm really excited to share this with my Culture Factor 2.0 community. I've published Zero to Podcast. It was a book that I built to start my podcast, and I created it for myself just so that I could make other podcasts down the road. And then I realized that it's not just for me, it's for anyone looking to try podcasting for personal or professional reasons. So I'm also really excited to tell you that it already hit the top 10 in three best-selling categories on Amazon and number one in hot new releases in two categories. And even more exciting, the University of Chicago now carries it in their bookstore. So go buy your copy and get started. Zero to Podcast will be in the show note. I'll leave a link there. Or you could go to hollyshannon.com and you could buy the book and get any help you need building it for you or your company. Now on to our show. Hello, Obi. Welcome to Culture Factor. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for inviting me. Um, Obi is an entrepreneur and product specialist with extensive experience building digital and entertainment companies. He's raised over $900,000 on a revolutionary startup called Nido Incorporated which was acquired by AOL. He is an outstanding leader with a record of spearheading the development of high-end profitable products. He is a startup founder with experience raising capital and building qualified teams. He is a marketing specialist from large commercial and multimedia campaigns from Fortune 500 companies. Companies like Spike, Nickelodeon, and BET. He has led and contributed to every aspect of product development, which resulted in increased revenue and traction of mobile and desktop applications. And today we have Obi on Culture Factor. So welcome. Thanks Very for happy. To, me. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you here. Um, I what I'd love to do for everybody is actually um, have you share with us a little bit about your company. I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly. Is it Unami? Or you know me. You know me. You know me. Can you share a little bit about what this software is all about? And then maybe we'll walk, uh, we'll, go, we'll go backwards a little bit and, and jump into the founder story. But I want them to understand the, the software a little bit. Yeah, so Unami is a software for animators and video game developers. And our top mission is to automate the most complex task in animation and video game development process. So we've done that by automating the lip syncing for 2D and 3D animation. So speeding up the production process for um, um, video game development and animation, as well as um, we have a motion capture software. So instead of using a tracking suit uh, and a green screen stage um, for a lot of the top movies that you see uh, with Unami, I could record you and let's say doing a backflip or sword fighting with your friends, load that footage in and we could extrapolate your 3D movement and attach it to another 3D character. Pretty easy. Uh, you don't need all that expensive equipment. And we also have uh, an avatar creator tool plugin that we're, that's in development now that will be featured on Adobe After Effects Premiere and Final Cut. And so all those tools will allow you to easily create a 3D character uh, make them speak uh, with dialogue as well as fully uh, animated for a- any animated scene or movie. 
That's incredible. I really love that. I, I think it's um, such an interesting software and, and it works with AI as well. Like it works with all of the facial recognition and the lip syncing and everything, right? Did I understand that correctly? Exactly. So, so let's jump back a little bit then. So when I, w- I want to find out more about your founder story. So maybe you can share that with us and, um, and how you sort of came up with the idea for this type of AI. Because obviously you were trying to resolve pain points, right? So yeah, like after I sold Nito um, to, to AOL, basically I was working on, um, I think a music video at the time. And I remember they wanted one of the characters to, to be rapping in a music video. And we, when we got back to him, I was like, yeah, budget-wise, I'd be like an additional $15,000 to make that happen because our team would have had to do it uh, all by hand. So at that point, that's when I was like, okay, there should be automated tools for all this that works well and seamlessly. And so I realized that what, a lot of what was on the market just wasn't professional enough or just didn't work as well. And so that kind of started the journey um, with uh, Unami to start solving a lot of major pain points through automation and AI. That's really cool. So what, then let's go back. So you developed this. We sort of understand you know, the pain points it's resolving. So there must have been a, mm-hmm. a point in time you'd been developing this type of thing in the past. So where... Where did you sort of recognize that you were an entrepreneur that you wanted to jump off and and create this? Uh, I, I mean, I think the, the minute I realized uh, uh, or saw the pain point, I instantly kind of made that leap. Um, so right about this time, I had already exited uh, Unami. I mean, I exited uh, Nito. So I, I saw I had the time, I had the energy. So I figured let's, let's go ahead and lump, jump into this next venture. Let's go back then. Was there just like a specific moment, the day when you left that nine to five that this was triggered? Oh, okay. So I would say the nine to five I had left way back when I first started uh, Nito. So that's when I was working at Nickelodeon. So uh, yeah, I think, God, I think uh, that's when I was really getting into, into the tech industry or back into the tech industry, really learning about what the, what the uh, opportunities were. I think when I worked at Gilt, uh, or Guild Group at the time, I saw the potential. Um, that's when I met Kevin Ryan, who was the f- uh, founder of Guild, which is, uh, I think he's like a billionaire that exited um, with, I think it was DoubleClick, and he started Guild and a couple other companies, and I figured, okay, well, I wanna be like him, you know, and start these companies and scale up and grow versus, you know, just pretty much clocking it into a, a nine to five, which I wasn't even happy with at the time anyways. So I think once, um, once uh, I saw that, I think that was my inspiration. And I think once I started developing Nito, that's when I decided. Um, I think once Nito got a bit, I think once I built the actual uh, working product and talked to a couple of lawyers and really uh, got a sense of you know, how to put together term sheets and um, set, up the, set up the company, understanding that it needed to be, eventually become a, a LRC Corp. And I think that's when my technical, I mean, my uh, lawyer connected me with my first investor. And that was it. I think once you kind of get that first bit of investment, you know, there's a clear understanding, especially amongst investors that, you know, once they invest in you, they pretty much want you to go full time with it and not really be at your nine to five job. And so that's when I, you know, quit. Free, at the, and at the time I was freelancing. So it was, it was an easy transition out. So I could easily just stop freelancing and focus on um, building a, the, the software company. 
Okay. So when we get into funding, I have actually another question for you, but actually what comes to mind is which, which really fires you up then the design side or, or now building businesses, more of the, um, you know, the raising capital and building something. God, it's, it's, it's a combination of both um, because the design side is really just a tool that I use to build, build companies. So instead of kind of just focus, like when you do design for a corporation, you're doing it for somebody else. You're not really doing it for, for you. Um, so it's a whole nother ball game once you start uh, doing that for your own uh, startup. So I think it's, it's so like I said, it's, 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 um, it's a combination of both. And, I, but the business side, I do love, um, the building a product, bringing it, bringing, uh, bringing in together a team to really build it out versus having one role at a start, uh, one role at a, um, uh, at a corporation. It's interesting because most people work in the reverse, you know, like mm-hmm. design is what drives them to create things and they continue Mm. to create and create and that's Mm. sort of how their brain works and Mm. for you it was actually a lever that pulled like building businesses and maybe looking more at the structure of um entrepreneurship and and smaller companies am i understanding that right yeah because you know when you're when you're designing like i said you're you're really solving the problem and the need of that one corporation you're at where with a startup, your mission is to solve problems for other people. So it's not even about you. It's about what major pain point is in the market that you can solve. And so that's where you're starting from versus where design is it's more visual and, and it's more of a problem, you know, that each corporation has uniquely. So it's, it's a unique problem that each corporation has, but at the same time, it's, it's a service-based industry, so it doesn't scale. So, you know, you're not gonna be a multi-billion dollar, you know, designer because you're not, you'll never be able to work on that many projects simultaneously. So then, then let's, let's talk about that nuts and bolts of building the company. So what do founders need to get started for raising capital? Wow. Um, in today's market, I would say you definitely need um, a product, fully built out product, um, or at least your MVP. Um, you, you want that. Nowadays, they want, you know, traction. So you want like a, uh, like a product market fit, um, revenue. Um, at first, you know, it was 5,000 monthly recurring revenue. Now I'm starting to hear for certain startups. 15, well, up to 15 to $20,000 monthly recurring revenue. And it all depends on the type of startup you are. So if you're software, the lower revenue is fine because they can see the scale and you can scale a lot faster being software. But if you're a startup that involves a far more, um, a, a bigger headcount, like you, like you're starting off with like 20 employees, then it's a little bit different because now you have so much, now, now the, the fact that you have so many heads, um, now they're going to want like well up to probably fifty thousand dollars monthly recurring revenue because you require so many people involved to scale your company. So, what what our listeners don't know is that you and I had a little discovery call beforehand. So, mm-hmm. um, some of these questions uh, we've already discussed a little bit, you and I, but I wanted us to really go deeper for the listeners because I think there's a lot of people that. Um, love founder stories and startup culture and, and want to have a bird's eye view into what this is all about. Mm-hmm. So with that said, the next couple of questions, um, let's talk about, um, uh, you wanted to discuss an equity crowdfund. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that we 
park some time for that conversation. Yeah, yeah. So equity crowdfund is basically that's what I'm doing now with my startup. So we we started off with a hundred thousand dollars investment from Backstage Capital. So we got that about I think a year and a half ago, um, maybe even a little bit more. So they were our lead investor with that. And then we moved on to eventually doing our equity crowdfund. So equity crowdfunds are a new way of raising capital for your startup. So I think the SEC or the US government ultimately changed the regulations allowing for this. So what it means is before you could only be a qualified investor um, to invest, which will allow you to invest in a startup. Um, And if you weren't a qualified investor, you weren't able to invest in a startup. Now, qualified investor, I think what it is, I think $1 million in assets or you're making $200,000 a year and up. So that's what qualified you as a qualified investor. And if you didn't meet that goal, then you weren't allowed to invest in uh, startups. So they lifted that and allowed unqualified investors to go through portals like uh, equity crowdfunds. And now you're able to invest as low as $200 into these equity crowdfunds. And depending on the the regulation, uh, there's like Reg CF, Reg D, there's different um, tiers that allow you to invest as low as $200. I think some start as low as just um, $1,000. So it all depends on the startup and the platform that you're on. So there's multiple platforms that do this. We're on MicroVentures. This is our second time on there. And so we like them the most just because they had the lowest amount of fees that we saw compared to everybody else. Um, They're highly diligent and on point with the way they set things up. And I love the way they presented our company on their platform as well. So that's pretty much the new angle that a lot of people are going with. So they start with, off with a couple lead investors, then you get on an equity crowdfund and you're able to raise capital pretty efficiently. You know, you're not stuck having, because if you go to traditional route, now you're going to VCs and angels, you're going to, through multiple meetings, you know, well up to 150 to 100 meetings, and the challenge is, the biggest challenge is just getting those meetings. You know, because a lot of people say, you gotta go through 100 no's. I'm like, well, good, good luck getting 100 meetings with 100 VCs. That's terribly difficult. Um, I would argue that most don't even hit that number, to be quite honest. Um, just because it's, it's just terribly difficult to get that. You'd have to come from, you know, or know a lot of high net worth individuals to make that many connections for you or you're crushing it amazingly that you're able to get that many doors open for you. So that's the challenge on that front. Where with equity crowdfund, you know, you do a bit of marketing, uh, just a basic marketing push, uh, or it's all organic through your um, social platform and people coming through and uh, investing in your startup. So that's the beauty of it. It's just another option for those who may have a challenge getting to the the VCs and the angels that are willing to write them checks. Wow, there's a lot there. That's really mm-hmm. cool. So what I love about this is it's accessible to anybody to invest in small startups that they believe in. Um, exactly. Or they see the energy that they put behind their work and they won't or they just love the product. They don't even really have to know the founder. Maybe they just, you hit that pain point, right? You found the product that I needed and I'm a big believer in it. Um, so I, I really think that that's such a great model because it allows you, you know, even if it's, you know, $50 from, you know, 1,000 people, it's mm-hmm. maybe reduces some of the friction for you. Um, so that's a very, 
I really like the equity crowdfund model. Yeah, it, I mean, I love it because it's very democratic. I mean, the challenge is, I mean, the crazy thing is, even though we're in a tech industry, even though a lot of these investors are investing in tech, the vast majority of them don't know tech. You know, they're not going to tell you the difference between Ruby on Rails and Python or Angular versus um, uh, jQuery or any other other um, platforms out there. So the beauty is, is sometimes your peers understand what you're building far greater than an investor. So it allows them to get in on the action and invest in you uh, to help you along the way. You know, you had mentioned um, in terms of the investment, uh, you mentioned a company you were working with, but initially you and I met uh, through Backstage Capital, who was your mm -hmm. initial investor, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had interviewed Arlen Hamilton um, and was just so in love with the model that she had created um, where she works with underestimated and um, underrepresented communities to provide funding where it's really difficult to get because the profile of a, the classic, I should say, what we're all used to seeing v, a VC is, is not, they don't look like you, right? And they don't mm -hmm. look like me. So um, uh, you and I had already discussed this a little bit earlier and I, and I would love to dive in if you're still open to this, but um, we had talked about being an African-American founder and what the, the investment atmosphere looked like before and what it looks like now. Uh, did you still want to have that conversation? Yeah. So, so tell me, you know, you know, you've done some investments now through throughout the years as you've been building things. So, you know, before stumbling upon, say, Backstage, mm -hmm. who are so much more open to recreating this model, you know, mm -hmm. what was that like for you? And, and what is it like now that you've gotten some funding? How are you viewed now in the VC world? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, uh, it's basically before Backstage, um, you, you, I was pretty, you know, you're desperate to just get investment capital no matter what, you know, you just want to stay afloat, you want to survive, you want to scale this company up and, you know, take it to the next level. And so you're not as picky about who you want to come into your company, you, you know, you're not going to be picky. You're going to just take that money wherever it can and hopefully it works out. Once Backstage invested, um, it was an opportunity. It, it was a chance to see, oh wow! So this this was an example of how I want my investors to be. All future investors, they really set the precedent, the tone, the attitude, and how how I should be talked to, how they should be working with me. Um, that camaraderie, that mutual respect, most importantly. Um, because I could see, I remember there were investors before them. They're, they're night and day compared to a lot of investors I talked to. Um, and I don't know if, it, and I, I can't speak on, on how they, when it, if, if it was race or not, you know, I'm not in their head. But I, and I think a lot of it was just the way they are in general. But I remember one investor, I think I pitched and they, they, their, I guess their their advisors came from the same entertainment world of special effects and design as me, but they definitely had no. I think they literally came back and wrote a letter saying something like, "We really don't feel like you're gonna be. We don't believe that you'll be able to build it. We don't believe that you'll be able to make sure it's secure on a, on an online platform. 
Um, ultimately, we just don't believe in you. <laughs> That's ultimately what it, it, it boiled down to. And I saved that email too. And, <clears throat> and then I remember talking to, I think, another investor. And I had a like, minimal viable product. Work, working product wasn't like it was broken or anything. And I guess for him, he wasn't impressed. He was like, okay, if you had the other one, I'd be impressed. But, but you don't have this. And he, what he meant it was like the 3D version of our lip syncing tool. And I was like, well, I have the 2D. I was like, ah, oh, it's not moving the way I would want it to. I was like, well, you know, it's an early product. You know, we're, we just started it. And it was once again, we don't believe that you can build this out, you know, mentality. And so once, mind you, this is the same um, demo that I presented to Backstage, and they were really impressed, and they saw where it could, it could go. And I'm glad that they believed in me because fast forward later, all the things that these guys said that they didn't think I could build is built, you know. Now are they built? We're optimizing and making it better. And so it was just that belief factor, you know. And I think even one investor was like, yeah, okay, if we take you on, we really want to kind of incubate you and have you in our office. And, and we really want to look under the hood, meaning they actually want to look at the code. And I was like, what? And like, so it, it was just like this mass lack of belief that you could pull this off. And so I think that was a night and day difference. And I think once you're kind of validated with one VC, you kind of get that, a bit of that respect from everybody else. Um, and I would say a bit, you don't get a ton. I think nowadays, a lot of investors are so risk averse that it's more about what you generate revenue wise. You know, I've even heard investors say, look, I could care less what you're building as long as you're generating the revenue, that's it. Well, hopefully it'll be a trickle down effect for you as you grow, you know, now that you've gotten, you know, funding before and now you have the equity fund working on your behalf and you've built out your product to be 3D. So I'm sure you're just mm -hmm. gonna keep going from there. Exactly. So that being said, what's next for you, Nami? Um, so yeah, like I said, we're currently raising on micro ventures. Um, the game plan is hopefully in the next three, I think we extended the campaign for another three weeks. So we're definitely looking to kind of raise as much as possible on that platform. And then honestly, in the next four months, have all our products fully launched with the updates that we got back from users. And honestly, be cash flow positive this year and scale aggressively next year. And who knows what happens after that, you know, whether it be, you know, acquisition or just, just a multi-million dollar um, monthly recurring revenue at that point. So yeah, that's our, our top goal in the next couple of years. Mm, it's a lofty goal, but sounds like you're easily going to reach it. I'm really excited okay. for you. This is Thank great. You. So um, I don't know. Uh, I don't typically during my podcast take any questions from the audience, but um, is that something that you would like to do before we finish up if anybody has any questions? Yeah, I'm definitely open to questions. So anybody can raise their hand if they would like to and, and come ask uh, Obi a question. Um, you know, while we wait for that, um, I would also point out to you, um, as you do your equity crowdfund, um, I feel like you should do some sort of room, uh, a couple of rooms actually, in Clubhouse. Like that would be kind of an interesting thing where people could really talk to you about your product and, you know, they could be jumping on their computer and looking at it and demoing and everything. I don't, I don't know if that's something you want to do, but it's just such an interesting platform. I mean, here I am doing my podcast on it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I would love to do that. I think the mission is to eventually <clears throat> 
set that up for sure. Excellent. So we have um, <coughs> Danny McDowell who has come up to the stage. Danny, I just want to point out that we are recording. Are you okay with me recording you on this? Yes. Excellent. So what's your question for Obi? What made you decide to go into an entrepreneurial field as opposed to some other path in life? And what made you keep going when you got those uh, negative emails from people saying they didn't believe in you? No, good question. Um, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew that the corporate nine to five just wasn't for me. Um, the challenge was really kind of figuring out the path on how to get out and out of that world and into the entrepreneurial life. But yeah, I just, I just knew it wasn't right for me. I knew I wanted to really control my own destiny, my own freedom versus, you know, clock in and clock out. And it, it was, it was, I wasn't happy for years and it, it was, I finally need to make, make that push. As for how, why <clears throat> my motivation for moving forward, even after the nose, the crazy thing is, you know, even though I had exited a startup before, a lot of them still didn't believe that I could pull it off. And it, is, it was almost like that didn't mean anything to them. But I knew because I did it before, you know, um, the software that we built before was far more complicated than what we we're building now. So, so of course, I, so for me, I was like, hell yeah, I know I could get this done. You know, I'm not, I'm not even worried about getting it done. It's just that they, you know, for some odd reason, if they don't see it fully built out the way they envisioned, then they're just not going to believe you. That's a great answer. Thank you. Thanks. So I think since we don't have any other questions, um, I want to thank you, Obi, so much for spending some time with me today and talking about your journey, um, not just uh, with Unami, but before then, because I think it's really an interesting story. And um, for anybody who is here, if you'd like to um, follow us or the club, um, I'm sure you'd love to see Obi's journey. And I will continue to interview some more founders from Backstage Capital in the in the coming weeks. So um, I would love for you to come join me. So thank you, everybody, for coming. And um, Obi, thank you so much. You were amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you.